They're a big fan of Shaq. I've got his rookie card. I might sell it tomorrow. Okay. The point is, I looked it up to see how much it was potentially worth, and they basically said anywhere from $25 to $250, which is a okay. huge range, by the way. That's a lunch. <laughs> like, can you imagine? Like, you either had 25 bucks <laughs> in your pocket or $250. You can either pocket. get a burrito and some guac, Listen, or you can go on a flight, a get short two flight. Burritos with that. I mean, not if you add guac not and double meat. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Julian. And today we're asking the question, are collectibles investments? Yes. I love the word collectible because that's the new word that they used for NFTs in the Super Bowl commercials this mm. year. It was like digital collectibles. Yeah, I knew we were going <laughs> to. I, I was confident NFTs was going to come up. I wasn't exactly sure when. Here you go with it right out the gate. So that's that's interesting. Uh, but I will say there's a reason why uh, this is top of mind. But before I even do that, shout out to us for 100 episodes. I know. This is the 100th episode. Yeah. Shout um, out to those who heard it in the intro. Absolutely. Switched it up on y'all. Absolutely. And, and, and huge thank you to Success Magazine. Huge thank you to everyone who has listened, shared an episode, and who's been riding with us from the very beginning. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's to 100 more. Okay. Yes. Collectibles. Are they, are they not considered investments? Let's break them down. Let's back up for a little bit, though, because I want to talk about why or how this even came to be top of mind for us. This is top of mind because a few weeks ago we were in Virginia Beach. We were speaking to an organization and it's pretty typical. Whenever we do a talk, people come up and they speak to us and they they're either doubling down or like asking a question about something that we've said. But in this case, there was a guy who was talking to us about his collection, his collectibles. I think it was like sports memorabilia. And this was actually the second time that we'd spoken to this organization. The last time we did it, I remembered that someone had done the exact same thing, except mm-hmm. there was two different people. So it really just got the wheels turning. I was like, well, how many people out here are like really like invested in collectibles, Legos, mm-hmm. toys? Then it made me think about my mom because I remember last year she got really excited. I think she saw something on Facebook and it was basically saying, hey, do you have old Disney VHS cassettes? They may be worth a bunch of money. And she sent it to me and she was like, oh my gosh, can you look into this? Because I have like 20 of them. I used to watch them all the time. And I was like, why do you still have like old VHS cassettes? (laughs) Because she thought at the time that they would uh, you know, appreciate in value. I don't think that's the case. I think she just... You could not have imagined that VCR would be obsolete when we were watching movies using a VCR. No, but I don't think that that's why she held on to them. Either way, <laughs> They're Disney. it's just another thing that made me think of it. And then the third reason was because I actually, like, remember, it's like, gosh, I actually have some collectibles. I have basketball cards from mm-hmm. the 80s and 90s when I was a kid. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I really want to dive into this. You I got your see. CDs in there, too. I do have CDs in there <laughs> because I've been waiting to, like, transfer them. And then I had <laughs> iTunes Match and then I didn't and now do it. it's all just free on Apple Music. It's actually not. I mean, it's not free, Some but it's of available. the CDs that I have, I can't actually get on it, which oh, is why okay. I'm holding on to it. So okay. i got to figure out a way to burn them, upload them, and then I'll do all the other things to make sure that I have it in my library. Anyway, those are 
all of the reasons why I've been like sitting on this topic and really wanted to talk about it. And so here we are in the hundredth episode. Like we probably could have talked about anything else, but this was top of mind, <laughs> and I really wanted to dive into it. So here we are. Yeah, I I did some research uh, leading up to this episode, and I gotta say, I don't see many women who are collectors, but that's also because I conveniently excluded bags and shoes I was and a number of the things that I collect. I did come across, you mentioned Legos earlier, I did come across this video on YouTube from the Wall Street Journal about a guy who is a Lego enthusiast. He basically buys and sells them for profit and focuses on things that are out of production. So like really complicated looking Star Wars, Batman, Transformer stuff. It was very fascinating. I already know what his bedroom looks like. Yeah. <laughs> but- But what really struck me was two things. First, they said the biggest database of Lego collectible sets lists $1.2 billion worth of collectibles, like just Legos, and it's called Brickset.com. Wow. Yeah. Secondly, they positioned his portfolio of investments against the market. He sees anywhere from 150 to 200 percent returns on his sets. And they were comparing that to what he could have earned if he had invested in the stock market, which I thought was an interesting frame. Not that I agree with it, but I thought it was an interesting way to frame it up. For the purposes of creating. That's what percentages allow you to do. It's like, I mean, (laughs) percentages allow you to use really big numbers for very different gains. Anyway, it all made me wonder just how many people were out there doing this. Honestly, how many people do I know that are married to people who still believe that they are investing by collecting a bunch of stuff? And how do we make sense of it? Because it's not... It's not black or white. It's not like these things are completely without value, but are they actually investments? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what are collectibles, right? Let's just start there. Or what can they be, I should say? I guess you could say that they're anything, but some of the most popular collectibles are things like comic books or toys, stamps, even wine or bourbon. Those can be collectibles. Of Mm -hmm. course, if you've ever watched that PBS show, what is it? Antique Antique Roadhouse. Roadhouse. A road show. I was thinking of Texas, Texas Road. Roadhouse. <laughs> I'm hungry. Antique y'all. Roadhouse. <laughs> Some <laughs> antique peanuts. On the like rare coins, sports memorabilia, art, even things like sneakers these days uh, can be considered uh, collectibles, which also reminds me. I'm telling you, it's like the universe has, uh, you know, really conspired to bring up this topic of conversation. Just last week, we were talking to a group of financial educators and we were basically trying to help them figure out more creative ways to reach their younger audience, their students. And one of the teachers asked a question because she felt like she was struggling to get through to one of her students about the fundamentals because he was like obsessed about this whole sneaker thing that he's doing. And I was like, I mean, honestly, though, like depending on how good he or she is, like I know that you can make a lot of money sort of hustling sneakers as collectibles. Like we know a couple of people who do this. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It, it sounds weird for people who are a bit more traditional, but you know, if that's what he does and it's what's making him a lot more money, I can understand why he may not be interested in some of the uh, things that she was speaking about. All of this to say, there are a lot of people dabbling in collectibles in a bunch of different ways. And so we wanted to talk about it, but I think to your earlier point, it's also important, I think for the people who may be like in a relationship with someone Mm -hmm. who's doing it and they're like all about it and you're not, this is sort of your opportunity to be like, all right, like why are they so obsessed about this thing? So that's pretty much it. I mean, look, 
collectors of collectibles, <laughs> collectors, <laughs> they typically have like a lot of passion and they have a process in place that they use to research, to find and to purchase their items. And they usually do this because they know that the items will increase in value over time. Hence the loose use of the word uh, investments. I'm okay. Air quotes here. <laughs> so let's start there because I am guilty of loosely using the word investments. investments. Yeah, it's I'm a lot better. <laughs> I'm a lot better than what I was in the past. But I feel like a lot of people are like me and they use that word investment to validate an expensive purchase. Yes. My mind immediately goes to the fashion girlies out there. You choose to buy this. pair of shoes as an investment piece because they'll last forever. And ultimately, you end up saving money because you don't have to buy another pair because the quality of this pair is so much better than the alternative. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The reality is that is your brain on consumerism. It is a form of cognitive bias, more specifically what's called choice supportive bias, where people have the tendency to see a purchasing decision as a positive thing, as a way to ensure that they don't feel bad about about the decision. Yeah. So it's kind of like your brain tricking you so that you don't ultimately feel guilty later yeah, on. Here's how to convince yourself that this is actually a good thing. Yeah. It's super prevalent though. Like you're not, you know, off by having this function in your brain. We all have it. It's a prevalent in all areas of life of life and it's one of the reasons why we always cringe when people will say, when you know better, you do better. Because in reality, we don't. Most of us 100% know that we are not in a place to spend $500 on a pair of shoes that we'll only wear a few times or thousands of dollars on a concert ticket. Don't come for me, Beehive. I could be talking about anybody right now. There are lots of people that have $1,000 tickets right now. It's Beyonce. (laughs) The point is there are lots of times where we know we should be doing something different, paying down debt, maybe investing, building up our emergency fund, but our brains distort the decision by using a more favorable word like investing. Yeah, yeah. So let's break that down a little bit. So what makes something an investment? Honestly, that that's a whole podcast in and of itself, but like on a fundamental level, an investment or investing is the process of purchasing something of value with the intent of that item increasing in market value over time. So by that definition, collectibles are investments and collectors are investors. There's a process there is, I feel like a lawyer now, there's intent <laughs> and there is market, market value of yeah. the thing it's that they purchased. It's a small market. It's a, a niche, niche market, market yeah. right? The better question is not necessarily whether or not they are investors, but it's whether or not these are good investments or proven or sustainable investments. And that's where things get a little murky. So I'm going to start with myself here, right? So I'm, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone else. So as I said, I have a collection of basketball cards that I bought around 31 years ago, and they're still in mint condition. I was flipping through them to see like which one of them might be actually worth some money. And I stumbled upon Shaquille O'Neal's rookie card. And I probably have like two or three of them in there, right? So I was like, oh, wow, like that. Let me see what this is worth. So I was, I was kind of excited. Like I, I was like, wow, like this whole time I could be sitting. I'm excited to learn who the market for Shaquille O'Neal rookie cards, like how they value someone his. Someone who just loves Shaq. Yeah. Could be someone who went to LSU. Could be. Someone who grew up in Jersey where he grew up. Doesn't yeah. matter. 
like they're a big fan of Shaq. I've got his rookie card. I might sell it tomorrow. Okay. The point is, I looked it up to see how much it was potentially worth, and they basically said anywhere from $25 to $250, which is a okay. huge range, by the way. That's a lunch. <laughs> like, can you lunch imagine? Like, you, you either had 25 bucks <laughs> in your pocket or $250. You can either pocket. get a burrito and some guac, Listen, or you can go on a flight, I can a get short two flight. burritos with that. I mean, not if you add guac not and double meat. Guac. No, we're going to split the guac. <laughs> point is the ROI is crazy. It's 24,900%. Like I'm bragging about this. <laughs> Annualized, it's still pretty amazing. It's just over 18%. So I bought this for a dollar over 31 years. It <laughs> increased $249. Yeah. Uh, so look, on paper, it's amazing. Relative to the stock market, if you're looking at percentages, that's still amazing because historically the stock market has returned around 10%. And so that's still like really, really good. I don't have to pay any taxes mm-hmm. on all this, right? I haven't sold it. And even if I do, I probably wouldn't claim it. So in theory, uh-huh. this is a great investment. <laughs> Legal. I mean... <laughs> Cut that part out. You know, I'm just going <laughs> to sell it to a guy on the corner. <laughs> just kidding. My point is, like, it's not a great or game-changing investment. Correct. If I owned, like, a hundred of these cards, at best, I would still be, like, sitting on around 25000 which is, like, nice, but, like, mm-hmm. not, like, an incredible amount of money. And, again, I don't know much about, like, the basketball card market, but, like, I doubt mm-hmm. anyone even owns a hundred of those cards. It's more likely that if they do own a hundred high-value cards, there are a bunch of different cards. Right. But I want to use a different example, right? So, let's say it wasn't Shaquille O'Neal. Let's say it was LeBron James. Obviously, he's a better basketball player. He just broke the all-time NBA scoring record. And I found out, according to SportsKeda.com, that a LeBron James rookie card broke the record for the most expensive card in a private sale. It was purchased for $5.2 million. That's a big difference. And that's not just because LeBron James is widely considered a better basketball player than Shaquille O'Neal. It's because that card was actually signed by LeBron James. Mm -hmm. So the point that I'm making here by comparing those two is that there are oftentimes like a long list of quirky factors and like highly specialized factors that are going to dictate the true market value, especially for high market value items when it comes to collectibles. And certainly when you're comparing that to more traditional investments like stocks or real estate. Yeah, I also think you have to think about how much money you'd have to spend in order to get a hundred high value cards. Oh gosh. Right. It's not like there's one in every pack. The right. scarcity is part of what drives the value. And then the timing of when things are sold also matters. Like there probably was a time where your rookie Shaq card was worth significantly more when he was playing. Oh, and you just kind of right. missed that window. And so that part of it is also really hard to predict because there's not a historical, there's not a lot of historical information because a lot of these deals were done privately yeah. pre-internet world. They were done, you know, you have to go to a sports store. You have to go to a memorabilia store. You couldn't just post it. And then you have to think about things like the condition of the card. Is it in good, fair, mint condition? How is it stored? Room temperature? I mean, is the container in good condition? Going back to the Lego example, in the video, the guy was talking about how sometimes he loses out because the box is a little tattered or because he ends up missing a piece. Like, imagine that. Imagine you spend $500 on a limited edition Lego collection only to find out it only has 1,999 of the 2,000 pieces that are needed and therefore it isn't worth what it could have been worth, right? 
In the Lego example, I also wonder about the emergence of AI and 3D printing. How do you stop someone from just making a really good replica of your quote-unquote rare set? That's already happening with purses and shoes. There's a website called StockX, which is what sneakerheads use to trade shoes. And they just recently removed their verification tagging on shoes because they can't tell the difference between a replica and a real one. But to your point about 3D printing, I mean... What would make it a replica or fake? It would really just be like whether or not it was like the factory that it was actually created. Correct. Because the quality. If you can replicate the materials and the shape is a direct, you know, copy, then it's a Lego. Other than the fact that Lego themselves didn't. I guess that's the difference between a replica and counterfeit. Mm. Yeah, replica is probably closer to the real thing, but not validated because it wasn't made by the brand or something oh yeah is my guess i I don't know but like this is why this is so interesting yeah (laughs) even in the case of something like a rare bottle of wine or bourbon that you bought and found out that it was later counterfeit yeah uh fire what is it fire hot what's the whiskey the hot whiskey fireball fireball is in the news right now because their little bottles aren't actually whiskey yeah Yeah, yeah, that's how they're able to be sold yeah so they're being sued Something like if you go out of town, someone breaks into your home or even worse, if your brother or relative pours themselves of your good, (laughs) a little something of your good bottle. You know, all of these things happen on a regular basis in the collectible market, whether it's floods, fires, theft, it's all possible. And don't get me started on the new digital collectibles, a.k.a. the artists formerly known as NFTs. If the underlying value of that cryptocurrency collapses, so does the value of that digital collectible. You say if? if. <laughs> when. Okay. When, when if it did. The, the wallet or the platform that you purchased it on goes down, so does your collectible mm. and all of the value. At least with banks, you have the FDIC to cover you up to $250,000 per depositor, assuming you're using an insured bank. Yeah. The collectible market doesn't really have that, but there are things that you can do to protect yeah. your quote unquote investments. Okay, so like we said, there are a long list of factors that you want to consider when you're determining whether or not collectibles are something that you want to get into. I want to talk about counterfeiting a little bit more, though, because I think it's it's one of the big sort of factors that I think people really need to be looking at, like side by side, whether or not they even want to get involved in the collectible market. And um, I, I wouldn't consider myself an expert, but I'm like a counterfeit fraud enthusiast. Like, I love... <laughs> documentaries and books and learning about that stuff, I feel like in a way, the more I learn about like how these people are getting over, the the more I learn like how to identify what not to fall for if or when an opportunity uh, comes my way. But like I've heard about a little bit of everything. I mean, there are elaborate, fancy and fine art rings. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, bourbon. Like there's even bigger ones than just like Fireball. Like there's a whole Oh yeah, there was like a Pappy Van Winkle like thing. Hundreds and thousands of dollars of like rare bourbon turns out like it was just like rebottled fake stuff because how would you know you wouldn't know it's so rare not to mention you're not going to drink it right so (laughs) you don't know (laughs) even when you drink it you're like dang this kind of tastes like bullet it's good though yeah (laughs) it's like overrated (laughs) it's like yeah because it's it's, because it's bullet it's bullet (laughs) which 
Yeah, we just which bullet is delicious, by the way. I'm not paying hundreds of dollars. Exactly. You talked about like the fake luxury goods out there, like uh, you know, crypto, all that stuff. According to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the counterfeit market, get this, in the United States is valued at over a trillion dollars every single year. Like that's a trillion. Big a industry. trillion dollars, like the, the counterfeit market, a trillion dollars every year just in the United States. There's not a single business in the world that probably isn't impacted by it uh, in some way, whether it's materials or someone just like replicating your product or your service. Literally, as we were preparing our notes for this podcast, I did a quick search. And uh, just a few days ago, uh, this is in February of 2023. ESPN uh, had an article about a counterfeit collectibles bust in South Carolina, and they value the haul at around $15 million retails. Wow. And it included, and I'm quoting here, 157 Super Bowl rings, fake, 83 NBA Finals rings, fake, 99 mm. World Series rings, 29 Stanley Cup rings, like all the rings, all the things like fake, like $15 million worth of fake, like championship jewelry. Like I, I thought about it and, you know, you laugh, but honestly, like if you are a diehard fan, let's say you absolutely loved just making it up, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, whoever it is. And or maybe maybe you bought it for someone like, you know, you thought it was like the best thing ever. And like come to find out that it was like fake because the guy that you bought it from got busted on ESPN. So these are the <laughs> kinds of things that I yeah. think you have to factor in. I feel like it's more likely that people are buying these just to wear them and pretend like they were on those teams. It doesn't matter. It's fraud. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're getting taken advantage of. Like, it, it's and it's really unfortunate. And even if we're not talking about sports memorabilia, I'll, I will plug this other documentary because I'm telling you, I watch this stuff for fun like a weirdo. There's a movie called McMillions. And McMillions, if you can imagine, is inspired by the old McDonald's Monopoly game. So I don't know if they still do this or not. Probably not because of what I'm about to share with you. But uh, basically, back in the day, you used to be inspired or incentivized to go to McDonald's to purchase these collectibles. And you would basically pull off these almost stickers type pieces off of McDonald's. Come to find out the whole thing was a fraud. Like mm-hmm. there was a company that was tied to managing the game and the security guard was in on it and basically like was tied and connected to the mob. And I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken, like no one between 1989 and 2001 had actually ever won the game. Meanwhile, the people who were running this fraudulent empire extracted over $24 million worth of winnings from McDonald's until finally got caught. And then wow. of course someone said, you know what, let's make a movie out of it. So All of that to say, right? Like, I don't know that you can talk about collectibles without factoring in uh, the the likelihood of counterfeit or fraudulent uh, activities. Again, these are the types of things that happen in unregulated markets. Mm -hmm. And so when you're thinking about that, if you're thinking about that, if you have someone in your life who is already involved, do your part if you can. Just try to help ensure that they are doing something uh, to ensure that they're protecting themselves and their investments. Yes. Now, there are some things that you can do, but it's going to cost you. So in the absence of a literal government agency, you can actually just buy insurance for your collectibles. Of course you can. Of course you can. According to Investopedia, most collectibles can be insured for 1% to 2% of the piece's value per year. But your collection doesn't need to be worth millions 
to be worth insuring, right? right? It's just, it, it's a personal choice. Now, they also offer different recommendations on insurers based on category. So there are some companies that are better suited for things like sports memorabilia versus artwork versus antiques. There are a couple of things to note here in terms of coverage. Your policy will typically include features like coverage on the item based on its full value, not its depreciated value, mm-hmm. which is important. Coverage for events like fires, flood, natural disasters, things like that. Inflation protection. So the coverage increases its protection relative to the rate of inflation with limits. (laughs) And also you may be required to get an appraisal for this item to make sure that like what you're saying is, is legit. You may or may not be able to get a discount with bundling. So if you did have 100 Shack rookie cards, you may be able to get a discount on 100 of them. And it may or may not include a full portfolio, meaning each collectible may need its own plan depending on what it is. So a rare baseball card might not be under the same plan as like grandma's antique crystal glassware. Yeah. Yeah, they basically, it sounds like we'll cover it, but we're not like, you know. You got the work for it. Yeah, like we're going to do it on an individual basis, right? (laughs) Okay, so I will also say that the Consumer Protection Bureau does offer some help with respect to helping people against fraud if you were to run into a situation like that. But again, it's not in, or it doesn't act like an insurance agency like the FDIC does. There is no built-in layer of reimbursement in the event that you do get swindled. You're just kind of out of luck. Also, I'll say that when we're looking at our overall wealth, or when you're looking at your overall wealth, you really want to be mindful, I would say, of the percentage of your wealth that is tied up in collectibles. Like if we're talking about maybe five to 10%, like no different than we talk about crypto. Like I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in cryptocurrency, but I certainly would be a bit more cautious if you said that 20, 30 or more percent of your net worth was tied up in that versus like a smaller, more manageable amount. Assuming you have the rest of your network tied up in something that's a bit more proven, like stocks, bonds, and real estate. So that's something that you definitely want to think about. Mm -hmm. At this point, you can much more easily calculate the opportunity cost of having invested in a different asset class. So that's certainly something that you want to be mindful of. Going back to my basketball card example, I'm confident that I'd spent like over $100 in basketball cards that year. Or maybe like over a couple of years, because right. uh, like you know I was a kid, like I'm not doing anything but candy, gum, basketball cards, like stuff like that. <laughs> if I'd invested that in the stock market, that would be worth over a thousand dollars today, mm. right? Like not not twenty five dollars, not a range between twenty five and two hundred and fifty dollars, and it certainly like you know would not be what I have now, which is yeah. a binder of pieces <laughs> of card stock with <laughs> pictures on it. That someone out there might really appreciate. I'm gonna go sell it. I'm gonna go post it. I on would love you to <laughs> eBay right now. I would love you to. And Use then when the we don't have anything to pass on to our son, <laughs> then I will. I'm gonna get him, him some Pokemon cards or something that's you know more relevant, a more relevant collectible. <laughs> so let me put my standard disclaimer here. I should have done this at the top of the episode because I used to watch Antique Roadshow and I love it like everybody else did and does. There are people who have done well with collectibles, just like there are those who have done well with doing other nice things to make money. We're not discrediting it at all, but we do want people to understand the risk involved and to put the degree of investment in perspective relative to other asset classes and to try not to let their 
appreciation and love for the collectible itself overshadow its true potential and likelihood to make money. Yeah. Like we said before, there is nothing wrong with having hobbies, but when those hobbies get expensive and take away from your ability to do things that better secure your future, that's where we run into problems. Yeah. Is that your final thought? I mean, it should be. That sounded like a But I got one on top of that. I know you like putting a little dip on the chip. You put dip on the dip. (laughs) Dip on the dip. Okay. (laughs) It's a seven-layer dip of a thought. (laughs) Okay, here's my final thought. My final thought is everything that has market value is not a good or wise investment. It may still be an investment, but it may not be a good or a wise one for you. Good investments come with a set of characteristics like their long-term viability, predictable outcomes, and demand, which is directly tied to liquidity, which is directly tied to whether or not it's an investment that you can tap into versus just an investment that lives on paper. I collect many things. And so does our son based on what comes out of his pockets on laundry day. We are a family of collectors, but it is super important that we recognize that it's not an investment just because you love it. Yeah. I do not collect things for the record. Uh, <laughs> Says the guy with a binder full of basketball cards. I, I haven't bought basketball cards in years. <laughs> My final thought is do the math, right? So again, not just the simple ROI because that's, you can look at that and then your brain, what did you say? Conscious bias or mm-hmm. cognitive bias will go ahead and convince you like, oh, well, you said the stock market is getting 10% and I'm getting 150% with my Lego set. <laughs> it's a little bit more complicated than that. And like other things that require time, you need to factor in the cost of your labor, right? That's one of the biggest things here that I think is probably murky and very difficult to calculate. Uh, So you want to look at that. You want to think about the amount of time that goes into maintaining it, researching, protecting them. You want to calculate the net loss, like make sure that you're backing out the amount of money that you spend. You said one to 2% on average for that particular collectible, assuming you went ahead and got some type of insurance. You might have specialized space or storage needs. Maybe you've got like a fancy humidifier or dehumidifier or something just to make sure that it doesn't get destroyed by mold or all of those things, you just want to make sure that you are factoring into your calculations, not just what some website or some dude on Craigslist is saying the actual value of your collectibles are. So do the math for all things, look at the things that are measurable, but then also just think about the time and make sure that you're accounting for that as well. So go on collectibles, collect (laughs) what you do and, um, you know, I'd love to hear from some collectors. Yeah. If you've got a great example and, and, and you can say, like, this is why you do it. And you can point to an alternative and say that this is better than investing in the stock market. I'd love to hear about it. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. I feel like this episode related call to action is almost too easy. So let me collect myself before I make my ask. If you like what you heard, (laughs) head over to the Apple Ratings and Review page and add to our growing collection of five-star reviews. We appreciate you a hundred times over. Thank you so much for your support over the years. We will see y'all next week.